The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop playing with that Framework 3.0 beta and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 204, recorded live Wednesday, November 8, 2006 at TechEd Europe in Barcelona, Spain. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies, online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who miniaturized his Google, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much, and welcome to another stellar episode of .NET Rocks. I love saying that, Richard. Hi, Richard Campbell. Well, you've been saying it for more than 200 shows, so I guess it's only fair. I guess so. It is. Uh, this is a stellar episode. This uh, We're going to be listening to interviews that we did at TechEd Barcelona. And some very cool interviews. Some too. very cool interviews um, in just a minute. But first, we have a few things to mention. First of all, we've got a new website. Yes, we do. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks to Dax, Dax Pandy, who, by the way, thanks to, uh, thanks to our efforts... And his talent um, shared a stage with Steve Bomber. At no kidding, Mix, we haven't managed India. to do that. How did he do it? I don't know. He met he met Bomber. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? Well, and Dax is stunningly talented. Somebody just asked me a little while ago when I was showing him off, showing off the prototype of the new DNR site. Who does this? Right. And I just took him on a tour of Ted Neward's site, Michelle's sites, yep. our sites. Like, I just there's a lot of them. Dax he's, does great work. He's infiltrated the RD system and he's doing all their websites for him. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Dax and I worked out the final details uh, last week for the site. It's uh, main features. R1, there's a Listen Now player, a Flash player. Um, although we found that the Flash player has the the uh, the sample rate hard-coded, it plays everything at 44.1. And some of the old MP3s we did at 22, so when you listen to them, they go... <laughs> we found that one out the hard way, did you? Yeah, we're going to have to hard-code 
in uh, which shows get 22 and which get 44, but uh, what a pain. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So if you, you know, if that happens to you, you'll know why. Uh, And it's the older shows, really. The other feature that is uh, most requested is No More Archive Hell. Ah, yes. The great archive list is there now. Yeah. One big page, all of the shows listed chronologically. It's quite an intimidating list, actually. It's a lot of shows. It is, and it's a lot of info for one page. But, um, you know, they're all listed there chronologically, as you said, the show number. Also, you know how our URL had this show ID equals and then the database ID number? Right. Um, well, that's no, that's still there as legacy, but now you can say show num equals and go by the show number. Right. Which is what, for better or for worse, the two numbers got out of sync some time ago. Yeah. It's a difference between a primary key, which, you know, starts out in sync and then gets out of sync. Uh, and the other feature is, um, one, well, of course, just an extended clean look and feel. Definitely cleaner. Easier to navigate. Yeah. The, the great three-column look, so it's all very organized. The downloads uh, will only show... Uh, the buttons are only enabled if the files are there. So for the older shows where there was only an MP3, the MP3 button is is the only one that's colored and the rest are grayed out. So kind of see at a glance what you get. Now, uh, another great big feature that may or may not be online right now, depending on whether uh, we have it online. I don't know (laughs) if it's online right now or not, but probably if it isn't today, it will be tomorrow. Let's put it that way. Is uh, we got a little Google Mini appliance. Yes. And uh, really, really good experience I had setting this up. It's it's a one-unit box with uh, a single switch in the front, power. On and off. (laughs) Uh, Simple, simple, simple. In classic Google simplicity style. And uh, basically, you you, uh, configure it with a web interface. You you get in first with with your laptop. Just um, it gives you an IP address and you go in direct and you set up an account. And then very easy to set up. Tell it what to crawl. And basically, what we've done is we've converted all of our transcripts into HTML. And the HTML looks a lot like the transcripts. It's nicely laid out. It's not like Word doc to HTML kind of crap. So they look nice. Yes. And then we index them all with the Google Mini, and we give you a little search page on the site. And you type in a word or a phrase, hit the button, and you get Google-style results with Google relevance and all of that stuff. And uh, you can then zoom in to the actual text of what we were talking about in any of our shows. And on every page, a link to the audio files if you want to get the show itself. That's right. So that's very exciting. We hope that will be a new, res- uh, a, a u- well-utilized resource by our listeners. The other thing that I wanted to mention, Richard, is that uh, I went down to New York City last week for dinner to have dinner with uh, Greg Brill. Oh, yes. And Nick Landry. And uh, and Stephen Forte, we all had dinner together. Greg had never met Stephen. Oh, wow. If uh, you remember, we talked to Greg Brill uh, from Infusion because he's looking f- to scale up his .NET uh, development shop in New York City. And he's looking for talent. And he's hired a few people from the the discussions that we've done. What he's doing is he's offering you a free apartment for a year in Manhattan, 
and uh, he'll bring you there. He'll move you there. And uh, you basically, you know, after a year, if you want to go home, that's fine. And if you don't, great. But he's really, he's really, he says that New York is like starving for talent. Like the basic, it takes a lot to go on monster.com and you might get a thousand resumes, but out of those thousand, you only get one or two that, uh, that work for him. So, right. um, so I, he knows a lot of our listeners are, you know, hotshot programmers and, and it's a busy uh, time to be a good developer. Yeah. So if you're entrepreneurial minded and you want to be in an environment where you have the resources to do what you want to do, uh, you know, gbrill at infusiondev.com. It's a good, uh, it's a good opportunity for a lot of our listeners. And hey, move to New York, have an adventure. Exactly. It's only a one-year commitment. Maybe you'll stay longer, maybe you won't. And then you can, you know, hang out with Forte and Andrew Brust. <laughs> Certainly great user groups in have, New York. Have pizza. Lots of opportunities there. Yeah. So, Richard, you got an email for us before I we get to the interviews? I do have an email directly related to our last show, last week's show 203 with Bill Wagner and Diane Marsh. Ah, uh, let me read the email to you. Okay. Hi, guys. This isn't quite a flame because it's hard to flame people you listen to. That's fair. <laughs> Firstly, I'd like to say that I love your content and your show. I've been an avid listener since a colleague of mine from work introduced me to it. Hmm. I wanted to pass on some feedback. I've been noticing a tendency lately to deal with broader issues, in particular the panel on agile programming, which was great. However, I think you've missed a great opportunity when you had Bill Wagner on the show with Diane Marsh. I would have really loved to have a show looking more at some of the content from Bill's effective C-sharp book, maybe finding out what's changed for .NET 2.0. I know you want to cater to all .NET folks, but I'm sure those unfamiliar with Bill's work would have gotten a lot out of it. Please try and get Bill back on. Keep up the good work. Martin Clark. Ah. I emailed back Martin as well, but I wanted to read this email because we didn't talk about his book at all. Right. So I grabbed uh, Bill when I got the chance, chatted with him on IM for a minute and just said, Bill, we never talked about your book. And he's like, yeah, I know. Sorry about that. So, well, we got to have you back because he's really a serious C-sharp guru. Oh, yeah. And it's a great topic. And of course, there's new versions of everything coming. So I'm hoping that we can hear some of the latest stuff on that. So I'm going to try and get him in first quarter. We're okay. still working out all the details, but just want to let everybody know, you know, we do read your emails and we really listen to them. And I reacted to this right away. We missed a great opportunity here. Yep. Let's make a better result from it, make a whole new show. We certainly just did. focusing on C Sharp. And, you know, there was so much to talk about in that show on that topic that it probably would have been a big non sequitur to shift gears like that. But, the, you know, the, that's why we have uh, other shows, right? Absolutely. Right. Okay, so I guess we're going to uh, go to Barcelona, Spain, to where Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell are standing by. Here we go. Enjoy. Hey, Richard, how you doing? I'm good. I'm enjoying myself. This is a new interview for us. I'm arguably the youngest uh, interviewee ever. That's right. I'm here with Arfa Karim. Hi, yeah. Arfa. Hello. And just to set the record straight, how old are you? I am 11 right now. 11. And you were on stage at the keynote at TechEd, were you not? Yes, I was. Yeah. You're a very popular young girl. <laughs> so your claim to fame uh, is? Uh, I am uh, the youngest uh, Microsoft certified professional in the world. Wow. And what are you certified in? Uh, I certified at the age of nine. 
In C Sharp? In C Sharp.net. Windows, WinForms. Nice lead off. You know, you could have got an MCP with just Word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to do simple things. Well, okay, so you've got .NET. Now, you've had some other certifications since then. Yes, uh, this year I've got another certification. It's like uh, developing uh, web-based applications, ASP.NET right. and C-Sharp. ASP.NET and C- in C-Sharp. Yes. So a couple more to go and you'll be a certified developer. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to that. That's exciting. What made you want to get into computer programming? Actually, um, I was uh, interested in computers. When I saw my first computer when I was about six. And whenever you see something new, you get something that, what is it, how does it work, and all that. So that was when my interest began. And so um, I asked my father to get me a PC, and uh, he bought me one, and I used to mess around with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, about two years later, I I knew how to operate the Windows and how to operate my MS Word completely by yeah. the hit and trial method. And that wasn't enough. You you naturally had that curiosity. Yes, how, I, I how had do I do that, this? Yes, I had the curiosity in everything Yes, uh, from uh, the beginning. And so uh, my dad took me to an institute nearby our home. And there I started uh, to get professional education about software. Uh, wow. And so so let's see. How long have you been programming in .NET? Uh, two years. Two years. Yeah. And what kinds of applications have you written? Um, uh, when Windows-based applications, basic applications, mm-hmm. console-based applications, mm-hmm. and uh, web pages in ASP.NET, uh, some in HTML. And, uh, what, what do your teachers think about you? I mean, they <laughs> must look at you like, hey, uh, you kids, you should be more like her now. Come on. <laughs> what, what do they think? They um, think like that, but I uh, normally ask them to don't do like that in front of the other students. So right. sometimes they get discouraged or something. something. Yeah. So I don't uh, like to be, you know, like I'm special than you. I'm something sure. other than you. So I like to be normal like them. And I'm sure you help kids with their computer homework yes, and stuff. Yes, uh, computer homework and other homework as well. Other, you know, uh, classwork when they can't get to know what the teacher is saying or what's they have to do or they can't get any sum right so yes. I'm there to help them always and, and so you have more more interest than just computers obviously you're very bright what uh, what kinds of things are you interested besides computers um, I am um, a good singer really yeah um, wow I uh, write a little bit of poems as well I do oh, poetry fantastic. as well and I am really 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 fond of reading good so and, uh, you know, I, I never, you know, leave a novel until it's finished. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to go through the whole thing. Yes, I have to. Now, this is not your first conference either. No, it's not. I have been to uh, many PDCs in Pakistan and, uh, I have uh, been to the JDC's junior developer conferences as well. Right. Tell us a bit about the junior development conference. I don't know a lot of people know about those. Uh, it's like, uh, there was, there is a junior developer curriculum by Microsoft. Mm-hmm. It's like it tells you how to, it's, it teaches you VB.net uh, for kids. It's for kids. And right. uh, like four, uh, there are four cartoon characters who take you to a journey. And uh, whenever you reach any stop, you have to pass a test and you learn some things in it. And I, I went through that as well. And I was, uh, I presented that JD, JDC at the JDC. So you were a speaker at the 
yes, I was a speaker. Yes, I was a speaker. Yeah. And it, did I hear you've already met Bill Gates as well? <laughs> yes, I've met Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even met Bill Gates. We've done two hundred shows. What is up with that? <laughs> Don't. I think we're just too old. Maybe that's it. <laughs> So what was your experience with Bill Gates? It was really, really, really amazing and exciting. And uh, I found Bill Gates really nice and soft-spoken and all that. And uh, I asked him, I met him for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I asked He's him. He's a very busy guy. Yes, and 10 minutes with him is, I think it's a really big thing for me. <laughs> and uh, I asked him questions like, uh, why aren't there many women in your company? Ah, and, uh, <laughs> he's going right at him. What was his answer? I'm curious. He's he said that uh, it is really hard to find women interested in technology. So um, That is true. That yeah. is true. <laughs> and I asked him that uh, if you come to Pakistan or some areas, and you'll find out many women interested in technologies. And uh, he said that I'm planning to come to Pakistan in the next couple of years. I'm still waiting Excellent. for those. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Um, so what is in the future for you? I mean, what are you, you going to do from here? What's next in your heart? What's the next thing you're going to do? Um, I am, uh, you know, uh, nowadays I'm looking forward for my O and A levels and my aim is to get three days in both O and A levels and then uh, I'll be going to probably Howard and uh, that's my aim and um, I'll be to, I'll be keeping software, software development along because that's my passion yes. and uh, software development can be implemented in any other field mm -hmm. so I'll be taking any other field along and I've not chosen that field yet because um, maybe what I decide today there's something new tomorrow so I would not be bound yet. Well when you get to Harvard you look us up because we're two hours away the studio so you can come down and give us a, an update a progress report. <laughs> sure. Um, you are 11. How soon do you expect to be at Harvard? Uh, <laughs> as soon as I, you know, finish my A-levels. As soon as you pass your A-levels? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Is that, that soon? Next couple of years? Uh, yes, about three... Three more four years? years? Three, okay. four years, yeah. Richard and I were pontificating that perhaps maybe software is too small of a fishbowl for you. That maybe, you know, you have a future outside, maybe in politics or in at the UN or something. Do you think that you could possibly get into some sort of other field after you're done in software? Um I will um actually I'll 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 never be done in software. I'll be taking software along. Yeah, I hey, can go in any other right. field as well. Uh, if I go to into some politics or something, I'll keep mm. software development along with me. Sure. And I'll implement software development in my office work and all <laughs> that stuff. I won't leave software development. Yeah. Well, it's a great field to be in anyway. Yes. Wow, I'm blown away. I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, kids, study hard. Daddy's coming home. That's all I got to say. All right. Thank you very much for talking to us. All right. Thank you. And you have a great show. Thank you. Hey, Richard. How you doing? I'm very good. I'm still, you know, recovering. Barcelona is hard on a, a person. Certainly is. We're in the speaker's lounge at uh, TechEd Barcelona. We're here with Jay Schmelzer from the VB team. Hi, Jay. How you guys doing? We're doing fine. Excellent. So you've been talking uh, this week about VB9? Actually, yeah. I did a talk yesterday about VB9 as well as some things we're thinking about beyond VB9. Beyond so, VB9. Yeah. Well, let's start with VB9. What are, what are we in for? What are we in for? I think the big thing we're in for in VB9 is definitely Link or the Language Integrated Query Project. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're familiar with that, the ability to really kind of integrate the, the querying 
capabilities, bringing data querying into one simple... SQL for code, we've heard SQL it SQL for said. code is a great way to think about it, yeah. right? Bringing compiler knowledge and logic to the, the whole data access thing. I'm really excited about the idea that everything's a set, that you got a list box full of data, that's a set. You've got, you know, a grid, that's a set, and they just treat it all the same. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we'll see people really get into is the fact that, you know, now you, you get your data down and you and inevitably there's something you want to query on it, right? You want to filter it, sort it, you know, massage it in some way. Today, writing a bunch of for loops, writing a bunch of code to try to go through that, you know, link will allow you just write a simple query right there and modify that stuff and, and adjust it. I sort of see the symptom of the problem that Link solves as being the number of different types of collections that are all out there in the in the framework for one, you know, different types of applications and situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and joining across those different collections, right? Trying to mm. take some data from XML or from a, a, a list or a, or a dictionary and try to kind of combine that into one result set. Today, that's that's tough to do. That's a lot of code. And, and Link will allow you to just query across all of that. One operation to make the compiler do the hard work for you. So this is every man's code. I mean, Link is really about every man's kind of work-a-day code, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's really kind of a stunning idea that we're going to get away from, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but we were largely getting away from the idea that querying is a you know database developer's professional's skill. Everybody does it. Everybody needs to do it. And you're really not going to see it anymore. It just happens. True. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the the role of the database expert is is probably going to be around for a little while still right it's still the job of storing the mm-hmm. data absolutely but that basic interfacing concept i mean it, the idea that we're going to treat everything the same just well it's the same reason we created objects same reason we came up with you know one gui one video driver one mouse driver get away from that sort of uh, uniqueness yeah absolutely how are the crowds reacting to link and uh, when you show them the demos and things i you know i would say it's probably by far the most kind of exciting thing people have, have seen. I mean, we, people were excited. You know, they were excited when Edit and Continue came back for yeah. VB. They were excited when they saw generics and really understood it. The response to this blows all of those out of the water. Wow. Um, I have to admit, I personally am amazed every time I talk about it, how, you know, you can see people's eyes in the audience really, you know, open wide and they move to the edge of their chair and they're, they're having a hard time sitting down. Um, it's, it's a cool thing. A lot thing of ooing and eye. A lot of ooing and eye. Yeah, the next stage is I'm actually running out of the room screaming because they're so excited. They have to tell somebody. <laughs> they're opening their laptops trying to do it right away. Yeah. So what kinds of demos were you showing? Um, well, so my talk actually yesterday, I only spent a little bit of time talking about Link because... So it's like a general overview of VB9? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and the reason I only spent a little bit of time with Link was, you know, Anders is at the show as well doing yeah. a bunch of deep dives. So we didn't want to repeat content too right. much. But my basic demo was to show a little bit of just querying over typical objects you have today, like querying processes and, and seeing what's running on my machine and filtering that kind of is information. Anders, uh, Anders Halsberg, is he doing demos in VB as well as C-sharp? Um, he had, traditionally does do at least one demo in VB for each of his sessions, wow. um, which is a nice accomplishment. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how, many, how much protesting did you have to do to get that to happen? Oh, it was none, none at all. He, he was, was all happy, over to, do, happy yeah. to do it. He loves it. That's great. So what else is... <laughs> so what, Why is that funny? Why, what, what's, <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, what else is happening in VB9 that we should be aware of? Well, so the other thing that we focused on yesterday um, was really talking about some of the things that are unique to, to VB's implementation of Link. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, they're, both teams are working very closely. They're, they're effectively identical to capability. Mm. Um, what VB has done, though, is added additional support for working with XML. 
Um, so VB9 will include the ability to ha- have what we refer to as XML literals, or basically XML as XML in code. Okay, I saw this. Yep. So I saw no, this. Exactly. No longer putting XML in strings. You know, you don't have to work directly with an API. You can actually put XML in your code. The compiler will compile that down into the Xlink interface, or the Xlink API, and that then gets compiled down. I think my there. initial reaction to this was one of horror. Now, if the, the, expo- let's explain <clears throat> my thought process here, and then you can tell me what what you know what what's re- what the reality is. So, the thought of being able to just inline XML, here's some data in your code, lends itself to some pretty heinous abuse. I think it is possible. Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, you can abuse just about anything. Well, I mean, Visual Basic has always been good about giving you enough rope to hang yourself with. <laughs> you, you're right about that, Richard. I'm thinking back to the old, old basic days with the data statement <laughs> and, the, and the numbers separated by commas. It's almost like we're back. I only had to use that once. So it was I, under protest. The way I think about it is yeah. what this really is, is VB kind of keeping with its historical approach of allowing you to, to write what you mean. Right. Yeah. So if you want to work with XML, expressive, ex- just express it as XML. Right. It's a great, great way to get it started. Um, I've some people have come up to me afterwards, going, you know, it's cool that yeah, you can you can use the API directly. That's great. If you think that's the best practice, go for mm-hmm. it. Right. But sometimes I just need to get something done. What right? are those times? Let's let's think about a few examples. I mean, let's think about how many times do you write a simple app to go load some things or pull some things out of a database or move them from one thing to another and maybe XML is what you're using in between. So you just want to bang that thing out real quick. You're going to use it once, move some data around and then get rid of it. And now it's compiled in your assembly as data. Well, so it, the the formatting, right? So yeah. you'd use XML you want to output XML so you can then suck it in somewhere else and you do it once? Do you want to go through and do a whole bunch of, you know, mm. really explicit API calls to structure that thing what for about a with, one-time use? What about with XPath? Would it be good? Sure. A, a good use of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, the thing that gets scary and where, where people kind of eyes sort of open, they start having that little yeah. bit of stomach reaction to it, yeah. is when you look at the XML with the what we call expression holes, the ability to actually execute VB code right, right to populate that XML. Yes. Well, the, the syntax we're using, if you're a classic ASP developer, mm. it's the angle bracket percent equals, right? The, right? the old classic yellow code from ASP. Yeah. That's where people start to get a little queasy. Right. Um, we, we all have painful memories of that area, and you're rubbing yeah. us in them. <laughs> yeah, is it HTML? Is it, co- is it HTML that expresses code, or is it code that expresses HTML? That's what, what is it? What am I looking at? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was there. I was one of those developers, right? I used to do that, so I had the same reactions. Yeah. Um, as I'm working with, with XML literals in Visual Basic um, in VB9, it, it actually feels good, especially when I'm doing it in in combination with link, right? Mm. If I'm trying to query something and output it as XML, mm. you look at that and it really doesn't look like the spaghetti kind of stuff you used to have in classic ASP. It's a very structured thing and you can clearly tell, here's where my results are going, here's where they're going into the format, and I'm done. There's so many cases where XML is very much like relational data mm-hmm. and being able to treat it the same with link again just makes sense. But I've got to also think you get very hierarchical with XML. There are some, there's a reason we have XML specific querying languages. There's some wacky stuff you can do in XML that's very tough to represent any other way. 
Right. But Link is Link is actually really good at that, right? Because right. objects are the same thing. Objects tend to be very hierarchical, right? I would rather use Link than XPath, I think, yeah, to, exactly. to navigate through a tree. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, besides Link? So besides Link, Link is really the, the big thing. Um, mm-hmm. We also have, are doing a number of us, um, little features around the development environment, um, improving the IntelliSense experience right. for Visual Basic customers. Um, so let's talk about IntelliSense. Sure. Yeah. What? Uh, how can it be impossibly improved? I mean, it, it's so awesome as it is. How could? What could? What could be better? Well, we think it could come up a little more often. We think there's yeah. a few places where we could actually, you know, have IntelliSense be even more helpful than it is today. Mm-hmm. Mainly with, you know, keywords and and things like that showing up. I'm snickering because all three of us know Mark Miller well. And when you ask Mark Miller about IntelliSense, <laughs> he has such interesting stories. I mean, his viewpoint is arguably the most extreme of anybody I've ever heard. He cares about IntelliSense way more than I think is healthy. Yes. Well, and his definition of IntelliSense is very, very broad, too. True. Yeah. True. Yeah, Mark is definitely one of the most passionate people about sort of developer productivity in a in a code, you know, Productivity is when you're writing code. Um, yeah. And yes, his, he thinks about it a lot. Potentially unhealthy amounts. <laughs> um, no doubt about that. Now, but, uh, you've, you've chosen to stick with the refactoring support from, from the Developer Express and bake that into the yes, product? Yeah, well, for Visual Studio Orchids, we're still the, v, the VB refactoring support will still be um, through the Developer Express product. That's um, great. For the Orchids product. We've gotten really positive feedback from customers on that. Excellent. Um, I see some heads nodding. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Have you had uh, ex- feedback from the C-sharp people also that say, hey, we want all those bells and whistles? Uh, I don't tend to hear that as much. Um, yeah. But maybe it's because I'm the VB guy, so right. they're not telling me that. But All right, I'll let you off the hook on VB9, but you were talking VB Beyond, VB10? I was talking VB Beyond Unknown... Uh, release cycle VBX VBX actually oh. and that's the code name we're using for it really? it's VBX because it's old, it's far enough away from the old VB3 days now we can use that term again <laughs> <laughs> true true um, so yeah one of the you know, we, what we did is spend some time yesterday talking about one of the areas or actually two of the areas we're really investigating pretty seriously right now and that's the concept of of making taking Visual Basic the language back to its some more of its dynamic roots making it right. more of a dynamic language and also the concept of, of really creating a more interactive experience um, when building in Visual Basic. And that gets into a tooling experience. Have you caught the Ruby bug over there in Redmond? <laughs> I, I think we've, we've clearly caught the and seen the potential of dynamic libraries mm-hmm. and what dynamic libraries can do mm-hmm. to increase developer productivity as you get these libraries built for very you know, domain-specific purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruby on Rails is a great example yeah. of one of those, I think. Um, John Lamb now in the fold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's with you yet. But. He's not with. He's not directly on my team, but he's on the t- uh, team that we work very closely right, with for so. these exercises. So uh, we're not having variants again, are we? No. Okay. No. So it, what's interesting is because because uh, you know there are people that have that fear. I'm sure. Yeah. No. No. I mean, when what you look at is you look at some of the things we've done in Visual Basic. You know, 2005 and earlier, some things are coming into VB9. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you see we're pretty dynamic already. I mean, dynamic libraries yes. really, yeah. really demand the concept of of late binding. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what the thing looks like until runtime. Yep. Even VB. the most hardcore C programmers and C sharp programmers love VB's late binding. Yep. So yep. you know, you've got that already. We do that. You know, these dynamic libraries tend to also you take advantage of name parameters, yeah, optional parameters, things yep. that VB already has. 
um, you know, try to program against Office. Those API had big fans of name parameters and optional parameters. So right? will we be able to extend objects? That yep, absolutely. Excellent. Um, and so the the thing we're looking at is going and taking it even farther, right? Can we go even farther yeah, to make this dynamic? See, this is what right? I love about Microsoft. You know, they see the most popular stuff out there. They say, "We like that. Let's make it better." <laughs> I love that about you guys. So, so some of the stuff I showed um, yesterday, we we sort of took a little step through the progress. I showed a, a prototype that uh, Paul Vick, one of our language architects, has put together, um, where we started out, and the first thing we demonstrated was look. This is Visual Basic, right? Mm. So the semantics are the same. We're not mm. changing existing semantics of the language. So we went through some stuff there, kind of started using some existing um, frameworks that are out there. So we took mm. advantage of some existing stuff in .NET Framework, mm. just showing, yep, we can use all that. Looked at some of the um, frameworks for presentation layers that mm. are very declarative today, right? You know, HTML, WPF as great examples. And mm. so started getting into the interactive part there where, you know, those yeah. lend themselves really well to kind of having something alive and just playing with it, right, from an environment. So, you know, I did a demo where I threw up a WPF window, added a button, changed the button, added code behind the button, all from, you know, this one environment. It really, from a runtime kind of mindset, yep. although it almost seems to me when you start talking about these dynamic lines and so forth, that the whole concept of runtime versus edit time is almost obsolete. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we have the concept of edit and continue, but you still have that, Design time is definitely debug, a stop. Right, stop. Right. Make the change. Execute. Right. Yeah. This is really just completely blurs that line between design time and runtime. Yeah, how do you do continuous integration when you're always running? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> actually, it's a good question. I mean, that does mean. I guess the answer is we don't take away your ability to make a build. Right. It's just absolutely. that when you're designing, editing, and writing code, it's much more fluid. Right. Absolutely. It's just it's a it's a tooling experience that we can provide, yeah. right? And and injecting code, at, you know, into a running assembly via the tool. There's still the concept of, okay, I'm done with it. I'm done. I've got what I want. Let's go build this, make it, and send it off as a as an application, right? So what's VB's role in Vista going to be? What's VB's role in Vista going to be? Yeah. Interesting question. I mean, I think from when you talk about VB 2005 and stuff like that, it's, you know, VB first class support for for the .NET 3.0 sure. know, stuff, so WPF, WCF, those kind of things that are, are shipping in in Vista. Mm. Um, an interesting thing to to point out is that for earlier versions of Visual Basic, customers using VB6 and, and that the VB6 runtime is shipping in oh, Windows I Vista. I remember reading this, so it was an interesting decision. To, yeah, let's leave the runtime in the OS because we're still using it and it still works. Yep, absolutely, and we know there are. A large number of customers, right, that have critical applications built with VB6, they still need to be running. And so having that runtime continue to be available in the operating system, you know, hopefully gives them, a, you know, an additional level of support knowing, okay, I've got some time to make this move and, and do these things. It also brings to mind the thought that, you know, VB6 is a perfectly good language for a lot of things. And the developer experience is still as good as it was back then, you know. So... You know, there are probably a lot of applications that could be written and distributed quite easily now, you know, to Vista users. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw that happen when it, you know, when the first time the VB runtime showed up in the operating system, we saw people starting to use Visual Basic 6 because the runtime was there. They didn't have to distribute it anymore, right? right? Um, now, Windows Vista is the first time that the .NET framework, right, yeah. is there and you know distribute. So hopefully that will, you know, help with an uptake of, of adoption in, in that as well. Well, and I got to think... We were nowhere near seeing the potential WPF, WCF 
We have no idea what these applications are going to look like in a couple of years. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, today we see we see WPF as as spinning things on a forum right. and and carousel things. Um, we haven't even begun to understand what it means to really use it as a as an interesting data visualization mechanism for line of business apps. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the you know the next generation of stuff that's going to build on that, and I'm thinking the expression suites an important part of that, but just the control set. Well, I can't wait to see what are the controls going to look like when we get to WPF like that. I'm very excited about expression. You know, I've talked about it before on the show, and it just blows me away because, you know, there is an artist half of me. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fairly large half, as I recall. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you very much, Richard. I got a face made for radio. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. Um, you know, I know our friend Dax Pandy, who uh, does the graphics for our website. This is a good time to mention this. He's uh, an Indian guy. He's like a high school dropout. And he has designed all of our websites. And he got the attention of the India Mix people and he's doing a demo he did a demo this week on stage with steve balmer very cool so and he's all he's a developer but he also is an artist and he's been able to bridge that gap that you know the artist developer combination i think is gonna you're gonna see a lot more of those folks in the years to come yeah i think we're gonna see some interesting energy from microsoft around serving the daxes of this world to really give us those great visualization components yep I have yeah. to admit, for those of us that aren't artists, it's a really scary thing. Sure. Right? Same thing I had when I saw the web the first time. I was like, wow, I can make a good-looking Windows form, but I have no idea how to make a good-looking yeah, web How are we going to do this? Yeah. And I, I think Microsoft has served uh, the artistically challenged, and I put myself in that category thoroughly, with the control suites and the idea that these things are just pieces of, of uh, uh, tools that we use and glue together to make them work. You don't have to invent them. Yep. But first, we got to get those artistic folks making these tools for us. Exactly. Actually, could bridge over into the entertainment business, if you think about it. I mean, not just for a media player, but I could foresee, you know, uh, bands and, and artists putting out DVDs that run WPF applications that are interactive, that do all kinds of neat things, movies distributed with WPF shells, all sorts of great ideas there. Yeah, there's lots of potential there. Lots of potential. So anything else that we want to uh, plug or no, mention? I, I think it's about it. I'd say that, you know, the VB9 stuff is extremely exciting. Um, the vast majority of the team is working really hard at getting that finished up. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff beyond is is pretty exciting as well. You know, keep a lookout on the on the team blog, on, on Paul Vick's blog as well. Probably he'll be talking about some of this stuff. Expect to see some more stuff in the, you know, in the spring, you know, April, May time frame. But Excellent. Jay Schmelzer, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks. You know, .NET Rocks would not even be possible today if it weren't for the great support of our first sponsor, Data Dynamics. And their product is the one that we really love, Active Reports for .NET. It's easy to use. It's powerful. You just create the reports, you put them right in your assemblies, and you ship them with your code. They have uh, HTML and PDF support. They've got an excellent access upsizing wizard so that you can get your access reports into Active Reports for .NET. Uh, works for Windows Forms, works with ASP.NET. It's easy, and it just works. And best of all, it won't break the bank. And that's what we love about Data Dynamics. Data Dynamics has got a lot of other great tools, too. And you should check them out. Please check them out at datadynamics.com.
Hey, Richard, we're here in the lunch hall. Yes, we are. Just finished up the last wave of Speaker Idol. And who do we bump into but? Don XML. Don, why are you here? I'm here because uh, I won the Visual Studio Extensibility Contest. That's congratulations. Thank you. I had heard about that. Why don't you tell us about it? The Visual Studio Extensibility Contest was a contest that I actually accidentally bumped into uh, while registering uh, an open source tool that I was writing on the vSIP site. Um, what they were looking to do, they had two parts of the contest, uh, one for the add-ins, which is uh, the macro level stuff, and one for managed packages. And um, back in the beginning of the year, I was interested in uh, approached by the uh, XML team to uh, do some open source work for to show how to extend the XML editor in Visual Studio 2005 to help promote the, uh, the new editor in XML. The new XML editor. And is that what your add-in was? That's what it was. It was actually, it's called XPath Mania. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pick a Dude, unique name. I don't name. know Come how on, you're going to make XML fun. I mean, you try really hard. You've, uh, I, you've adopted it into your name. You bet. Yeah, we got to give you credit for that. Uh, you know, you it's try. all about marketing. Right. <laughs> it's all about marketing. So XPath Mania, what did you do? <laughs> what what? What uh, I wound up doing is creating a tool window that you can drop into uh, Studio 2005 that will enable you to sort of do, you know, Chris Sells' regular expression tool. The whole idea was to do something very similar to that, but for X- for XPath, so that you could start to test your XPath Well, tell us about that. I mean, for somebody who doesn't who hasn't ever seen that. It's okay. just a thing that pops up with a dialogue? Or? Uh, well, um, for what... Chris Sells' tool is a, is a tool, a standalone tool to help you develop reg- regular expressions. Okay. And to test them against uh, known sources. And it actually has IntelliSense built into it and all that. So this uh, is to help you write XPath queries. Uh, and that's, no, Chris Sells is, is, is for regular expressions. Right. And the XPath Mania is to help you write XPath queries and then test them against an, the open uh, document, the open XML document in the XML editor. So I grab an XML doc, uh, so I have an XML document open and now I want to write an, an, an XPath, XPath statement. So, so I, select a specific node or a group of nodes or whatever. So I can so you select from the document. You select. You type in your XPath statement into okay. the tool window, and it'll show you what you. And selected. it'll actually highlight in the XML editor the nodes that it would have been returned for that. Plus, it'll give you a list of the nodes just below it, and you could scroll through the list. And if you double click on any one of the lists, it'll actually mig- uh, move your cursor right to the to that node in the XML. That is totally cool. Yeah, that I w- want that. <laughs> it's I totally need free. that. Absolutely. So you're making XPath easy for somebody. You for don't somebody. even know even know how uh, how to make the queries. Does it you, you does it show you the source? Well, it, it, the source code is all there for, for you if you actually wanted to help it extend it or whatever. That'd be great. Uh, the XPath itself um, in this initial cut, it, there's no IntelliSense built into it. That's one of the future things that we want to do. So then. Uh, it would help you build your XPath statements. And and if your document had, uh, say, a schema associated with it, maybe prompt you what valid uh, uh, XML names uh, names are valid at that node set. To actually parse the document so that you could anticipate those node bits. You bet. Now you'd be taking it over the top. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> it would actually out. be easy for you then. Yeah, that would be very <laughs> compelling. I mean, you're really talking about the more natural querying of XML, which I've always thought that XML querying was very unnatural. Yeah, the XPath is, is very unnatural. But um, the, the actual real focus of this is, is a, a, a very... 
little known issue that's a big problem for most XPath, most people who are using XPath, and that happens to be default namespaces and XML yeah. documents. Yeah. Where you have an XML document that has a default namespace, which means that there's no prefix in front of the element names. Mm-hmm. And if you go and do that in XSLT, it all seems to work. But if you do it on your own and you use the, uh, um, the the uh, select nodes method if you don't actually pass it in an xml namespace manager to help let to help link up the uh, namespaces that are in the document to the namespaces that you should be using in your xpath statement um you get no answer so what this tool will do is if it finds that there's a, uh, a default namespace and you don't get any results back from your XPath query, it'll pop up and say, oh, by the way, did you know that you have a default namespace and you really should be using the, the um, XML namespace? You bet you should be using this other namespace. You bet. And, you, you know, and then there's a tool window. There's actually a, uh, a tab for that and that tab pops up so you could put it right in and then all of a sudden everything works. And that, of course, that's a big problem with a lot of these methodologies. I mean, XPath is one of them, but there's other XML technologies that, of course, the names escape me right now, that <laughs> your usual response is either everything or nothing. nothing. It's very hard to get a proper filtered set. You bet. And, and that's one of the problems that's out there. And that's what this is supposed to help and get, give a little guidance to how to build these things correctly. So, Don, the next question is, where can we get it? You can get it. Um, we actually have it hosted on CodePlex, so you can get both the source code in case you want to enhance it yourself or if you just want the DLL so you can go there um, but the URL is long and, and verbose so but it's on codeplex.net uh, or .com, .com which and you is can a, also probably google xpathmania oh no uh, I did one better xpathmania.org will redirect you right to the page dude and- that's awesome <laughs> think it hard now we uh, of course it tore into your product which is great but you mentioned something right at the beginning that was very interesting to me which is that you had a choice to get an add-in or a managed package, package as part of the contest and we've talked about add-ins Plenty, but mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever talked about managed packages, and that's one of the things that they were they were trying to get more focus on that. Right, and that was part of the contest, and uh, it, it was it's great. And now, hopefully, we'll get a little bit more publicity, and let people know that you can actually really do some really cool things. And the problem was in 2003, it was extremely hard to create managed packages. Yeah. In 2005, they've improved it. It's still hard, but it's not extremely hard. Well, well, Don, I'm curious, how many other how many people People total uh, competed in this contest. Um, I'm not even 100 percent sure on how many, but it was pretty widespread. It was pretty widespread. Uh, There's a list up on on um, on one of the websites. I can't even remember where the website. Where actually they they listed all the winners, and you can actually go there. It's uh, I think it's I have a link to it on my blog. Okay, Uh, Jupiter Media helps sponsor it, and they have. If you go to if you just do a Google on or do an internet search on. Visual Studio Extensibility Contest, you'll be able okay. to pull it up. And, and what's your have blog a list one more time? More. My blog is donxml.com. Keep it Excellent. simple. Don, it's great running into you. Oh, thanks, guys. And we'll talk to you later, I'm sure. Thank you. Hey, Richard, we're at the Hilton Diagonal Mar in Barcelona, Spain, in the bar after the Thursday, the third day of talks here. How are you doing? Are you holding up? I'm done. So, of course, I'm holding up. We finished Speaker Idol today, and I just did my last session with Steve Forte. So, I'm free. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I think I'll go a little crazy. I just have one whiteboard in the morning, and then I'm done, too. Anyway, we're here at the uh, lounge with uh, Paul Andrew. Hi, Paul. How are you doing, Kyle? 
And you are a program manager on the Workflow Foundation product. Uh, I'm actually a product manager. It's a, it's a similar sort of role, but a product manager uh, has more to do with the, the community and uh, working on our, our public collateral. And I said program manager. You did, yeah. And okay. those guys those guys do a lot of great work. They actually yeah. uh, write the specs and work with dev and test and build our products. So when you say PM, is that program manager or product manager? Well, it's both. And it's very confusing when we have team meetings and, and they get all the PMs to stand up. And uh, <laughs> so it's not just me okay <laughs> not at all so tell us about workflow tell us what's new and cool and and uh, what you know what do you think about when you wake up in the morning well workflow workflow is all about uh, declarative modeling of business logic uh, we saw uh, I guess over the last five years uh, a trend and we're all familiar with it with user interface where we went from writing code to add widgets and controls onto forms to a point where now we entirely use drag and drop to create a model an XML or an HTML model which is then rendered by the display device yeah now, now a similar sort of thing is happening in the business logic space where we're all used to writing code uh, and translating what business people think about and how they define process into lines of code. But Windows Workflow Foundation allows you to uh, express that as a model uh, using XML to create it with a designer so that you have a, uh, an image of your business logic, and then we have a runtime which executes that. Now, when I think of precursors of this technology, I'm thinking BizTalk with Visio as sort of the early workflow modelers. Yeah, that whole idea of you know, creating orchestration and, and, uh, and visually representing that workflow that then turned into data. But it sounds like this is sort of a larger idea. Well, this is this is a larger idea, and it's more focused as well. Uh, we started Windows Workflow Foundation when uh, it was it was looked around Microsoft at a lot of different products that had process engines in them. Yeah. BizTalk is a good example. Uh, Exchange Server had one. SQL Server had you one. You to componentize it and make it right. available it, it, for it the larger. It seemed like it was a yeah. problem that was really solved. Lots of people building it, having to build a bunch of code, but doing that code in very similar ways. So it seemed yeah. like a solved problem that we could really build once and provide for developers uh, for, for many different products. And I can imagine that future versions of Microsoft products will just use Workflow Foundation instead of building their own. Like you said, Exchange has got it, BizTalk's got it, and so forth. I guess it's ultimately to your own team's advantage to say, let's stop writing that stuff and use the one we've got. But right. then you're also making it available to us as well. Right. Yeah, it's funny. We, we originally just uh, intended to build this for Microsoft products, but uh, it doesn't seem to be possible to keep those uh, new technologies away from the developers out there. I think yeah. there's some rule about that. So we have a number of products. Uh, BizTalk Server is planning to build on it in the next major version. Um, also, um, Speech Server 2007 is using it. Wow. Microsoft Office SharePoint Server uses it for document workflow. There's actually I gotta quite get a long list. Server. I, I'm, I'm really taken with the whole idea of talking to your computer. And it talks back. But I got to ask you, do you foresee, and I know that you can't say anything or maybe you don't even know, but do you foresee personally any incompatibility issues with previous versions of, say, BizTalk or Exchange if you were to embrace the Workflow Foundation? Or is it flexible enough that you can just, you know, one-to-one make it fit the existing products without any, you know, major pain? 
Well, well, certainly the way that Windows Workflow Foundation has been built, it doesn't define a process language. Uh, yeah. Instead, it, it allows you as an application developer to define a set of activities, and those activities define a domain-specific language. So we can actually be very flexible to different process languages, such as Beppel, that are out there right. and allow people to build with them. Now, that's not to say that it will be a, a trivial uh, upgrade path. The, the next major version of BizTalk Server is going to use Windows Workflow Foundation. Uh, we want to make sure that our existing customers of BizTalk are, are looked after, and sure. there is going to be a migration plan for those customers. Uh, and we're committed to actually running the current orchestration engine in BizTalk and the new engine side by side in the next version to make sure that that's a, a seamless transition. You know, for that's people. something Microsoft always does really well is try and protect the upgrade path because you don't want to punish your existing customers for being, quote, early adopters. Or being loyal customers, for that matter. You want them to be loyal. We love loyal customers. Yeah, that's good. Um, what did, did you do any talks here at TechEd? Yeah, yeah, we had uh, several talks on workflow. Uh, I gave one on building custom activities. Mm -hmm. uh, custom activities are, are really how you go about uh, working with the workflow model. Uh, when you build a workflow, you're building it out of activities. Uh, you have to write those activities in code. Uh, Windows Workflow Foundation is is not some high level tool that uh, is for really for business users. It, it is something that's for developers. It's very close to the metal, close to writing code. Yeah. And so, custom activities are the way that you extend it and put your business logic and your communications into it. Uh, what's next for you in terms of you know? Let's say you didn't. You're a listener of .NET Rocks, and you didn't happen to come to TechEd Barcelona. Where are you going to be speaking in the near future? Well, uh, actually. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's the next event that's coming up? <laughs> yeah, I guess we're certainly that's my taking question. workflow out to the <laughs> out to the masses. Uh, yeah. We're looking at. Uh it's 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 been adopted so far by uh, customers who are already familiar with process. Process and process management and modeling mm -hmm. is something that is new to a lot of people. So we're looking at uh, what we can do to try and uh, make that uh, easy to get on board with for regular developers because there is a lot of opportunity for being more productive. Have you had uh, speakers and presenters and influencers come out to Redmond and work with you guys? So that I know there are people like out there in the field who are doing Michael Stiefel, for example did a whole series of DNR TV episodes on workflow. So you're beginning to see it at code camps and code mashes and all those other things that are out there in the community and right. in third party. We are seeing, starting to see a lot of buzz. There's folks yeah. like uh, John Flanders doing a lot of work with it, uh, Chris Ald and RD down in New Zealand uh, working on it, uh, a bunch of folks uh, getting into some very interesting projects out there. Chris Old, Mr. Red Shoes. Last time I saw him, I was in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, I'm very interested. What's the shipping state? Are we, we're not actually shipping yet, right? Yes, it's, yes we are. Oh, actually, it's final. We, we launched uh, in the keynote of uh, TechEd in uh, this this conference. Right, uh, so in, we're, in Barcelona. We're, uh, we're RTW now. The .NET Framework 3.0 is, is our ship vehicle. Right. Uh, and so it's available right now for Windows XP and Windows Server 2003. And like all framework pieces, it's freely load, downloadable, no licensing, and it's easy well, to deal I'm with. I'm sure there's some licensing in there somewhere, but well, there's, there's no cost associated no with cost the .NET framework. You may have to agree to certain terms, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> We're not going to charge you for We're the not .NET charge framework. You for it, it's the same as .NET Framework 2. Actually, we've put uh, some more in this time with the .NET Framework 3 and Windows Workflow Foundation in there. The workflow designer is actually uh, redistributable, and uh, the rules designer, there's a rules engine as part of workflow. Cool. It's redistributable, just the same as the rest of the .NET Framework. So you build your business logic, and it comes 
comes with a workflow designer. So if the business people don't like the way it looks, they pop it up, they make a few tweaks and recompile, and they're That's done. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That's pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, our tool is not necessarily uh, a polished business end user tool. We know that there are better tools for business people out there. It's really a developer tool yeah. or a highly trained business user tool. Yeah, we have good. seen uh, a bunch of our early adopter customers actually training their business users and having them use it and embedding it directly in their product. And that's always an interesting challenge is how far do you push down on this sort of stuff that directly affects such large amounts of your business. But if you're shipping, that also means there must be another version in the works. Anything you talk about there? Of course, there's always another version in the works. <laughs> did you guys get that ESP mind-reading module that I sent you? Did you put that in there? I did, yes. What was that about? You don't know? <laughs> <laughs> so, anything you talk about that's coming? Like, well, uh, you know, first responses on new features? Well, the .NET Framework 3 is uh, made up of is the existing .NET Framework 2. That's what it's compatible with. But it adds these technologies, Windows Workflow Foundation, Windows Communication Foundation, Windows Presentation Foundation, and CardSpace. That's a long sentence. Right. And we have actually merged the two teams for WF and WCF. So there we've got declarative modeling of business logic and we've got communications of all different types in a way that you can model or write in a config file. That's what I mean by model is effectively yeah. a, a config file rather than writing code. You can model your address binding and contract using WCF. So here we've got modeling of the comms and the business logic. And those two teams have just been merged. Something interesting could happen there. Paul, do you have a blog or I anything do. else My you want to push? My blog is uh, blogs.msdn.com's whack P. Andrew, and I, I only talk about workflow. <laughs> awesome. Paul, Andrew, thank you very much for talking to us today. All right. Thanks, guys. It's been great. All right. Bye-bye. Well, Richard and I are back in the Hilton lobby bar restaurante with Fernando Guerrero. Perfect. The Spanish regional director. Hi, Fernando. Hi, Cara. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? That was a fabulous meal you brought us to. <laughs> I cannot complain. That was good. We uh, told Fernando we wanted to take Johan, our winner, and our wives out to a nice place in town, maybe out of town. You know, he's he's from here. And uh, he took us to Can Ramonet. Is that how Can you say Ramonet. it? Can Ramonet. which is the oldest tavern in Barcelona. Uh, at least in the, in the port area of Barcelona, yes. 300 years old. You know, the only thing in 300 years old in my town are rocks. <laughs> yeah, sand. <laughs> Fernando, you're the regional director for Spain. Well, actually, we are two regional directors. Yeah, who's the other one? Pablo Peláez. Okay, and is there different regions, north and south, east no, and west? Really, or you not just, really. Yeah? Uh, it used to be like that. It used to be uh, west and east. Or, let's say, closer to Madrid, closer to Barcelona, but not anymore. Not, well, it gets back to that old truth about regional directors that... We may be Microsoft regional editors, but we don't work for Microsoft, we don't have regions, and we don't direct anything. Exactly. <laughs> so, but the regional directors obviously play a huge role in their local area, uh, you know, as well as all over the world. But we're in Barcelona, TechEd, Fernando. Are you speaking here? And really not. Not this year. It's the first time I come to TechEd Europe and not speaking. Now, that's odd. That doesn't seem right. You're one of the best sequel speakers I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Absolutely. You're like the Spanish Kim Trip, only not quite so much hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, she knows Spanish, but she's proving her Spanish language anyway. So, yeah, And you submitted quite a few abstracts. 
I think about 50 or so. Oh, I only guess. 50. Not from that company. It's not only from me. You said five zero. Five zero. Yes. Dude, that's a lot of abstracts. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. And these are from uh, people at your company, Solid yeah, Quality Learning. Yeah, Solid Quality you. Learning. Yes. And any of them speaking here? Um, no. That seems kind of odd to me. Solid are, Quality Learning, also a great SQL Server resource. Well, in fact, this week they are covering about half of the SQL Magazine Connection conference in Las Vegas. Oh, right, right, yeah. And next week, about half of Pass as well. But not to not get to Barcelona. Get no. Well, that's the way it is, I guess. Oh, okay. Have you attended any sessions? Do I have to say the truth? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big party for you, no? Right. Yeah. It's, it's mostly meetings and yeah. talking to people. And, and Obviously, you're heavily involved with Microsoft Spain, yes, and they're yes. very busy here at the conference, so I'm sure you're deeply engaged with them. Um, in fact, this week is the biggest Spanish conference in Madrid. Oh, really? At the same time? The biggest, yes, same time. It's a conference that's been running only for 40 years. Oh, a mere 40 years. Only only 40 years, yes. Uh, okay. And it's quite strange, the schedule. Yeah, so they have the Madrid conference and the Barcelona conference right. at the same time. Right. It, something smells funny here. I don't know. There's some serious scheduling issues here. We got Pass. We got SQL Connections. We got Tech at Barcelona. We got the Madrid conference. Couldn't we space things out a little bit? There, aren't there more than these two weeks in November? Well, apparently it's not that simple. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite difficult to I schedule. I would love to have somebody send me an email and explain it to me, because I'm right. a little puzzled. Well, what are you thinking about these days, Fernando, technology-wise? Um, I think it's, it's quite interesting. It's, um, it's interesting that after all these years, there still remains the same fight between IT pros and developers. Oh, yes. Well, that's because it's all the developer's fault. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Those darn developers wouldn't keep breaking things, we'd be fine. Yep. Yep. This is what they do. And also, they, they love to enter into the service area and try to use them in ways that are quite surprising somehow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Development against the production machines. I just love yep. that. Yep. Absolutely. You're running up against uh, endpoints, SQL endpoints, and web services right out of the SQL server, and not, not actually to smack very much. Back down. Yeah. I, I don't see many real systems implementing those solutions. They yeah. are thinking about that. They're considering alternatives, and um, but they don't actually take that seriously right now. Perhaps because it's first time. Yeah. There's a SQL version that supports those features. Yeah. So. And and what about some of these other new features? Obviously, SQL Server, big transformation, you know, mm -hmm. into this middle tier thing. What what's going on there? Well, I see a big adoption of uh, DBA features. Um, anything that's related to the engine itself, uh, perhaps because there are features that have been waiting for so long. So as soon as they see they are available, they really want to use them. Yeah, things like mirroring. Well, mirroring's huge. Lots of people are starting to use mirroring or even database snapshots. And, but programming features is taking longer to to be adopted. And when you're thinking programming features, you're thinking things like the SQL CLR. Well, that's that's another thing. Um, the problem is servers belong to DBA somehow still, right? Yeah. So if you tell and thou shalt not run .NET code right, on my right. server. <laughs> that's right. You tell DBA, <laughs> look, I want to run SQL CLR code in there. They'll send you to hell, right? And 
And a lot of DBA, uh, you find a lot of DBAs are, are struggling to to f- to to stuff themselves into the programmer mindset. Yeah, are absolutely. they are they retreating? Are they are they taking the bait? What what do you see? Well, there's let's say there's two ways in that. Um, there are lots of developers worldwide that takes development very seriously. They yeah. see that like a threat, but also like an opportunity for them. Mm. So they are starting to learn something on .NET, not so much to to build applications because this is not what they want to do, mm. but at least to understand the mentality of the developers so they have a better interaction with them when they hit the database. Absolutely. But, you know, at the same time, it seems to me the features that Microsoft's brought out in SQL 2005 is saying, forget that whole end-tier thing. The database can do it all. <laughs> you think that's just like, you know, the product team, tr- every product team tries to have the... Um, the end-all, be-all product? Well, everybody wants to be the best cat in town, yeah. right? And um, if people misunderstand the way those features are created for, they'll build ugly things. Yeah, I'm just imagining how much fun it would be to have an extended store procedure, or I guess, you know, a SQL CLR call that does a web services call that gets caught up in some kind of aggregate query and right. gets run 100,000 times. Right, right, right. Well, I've seen... Before SQL 2005, you can still see some sub-procedures out there. They are, I've seen some of them 64 pages long. That's a big right? story procedure. So you can see there's some procedure like that. The first thing that comes to your mind is, look, do you know anything about the structure programming at least? <laughs> right? So why do you have a 64 pages long sub-procedure? And if you have a 64 page long story procedure, the only thing I can think you would name it is do stuff. Right, right. Because it must do everything. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's an application that's in a stored procedure. The only thing it returns is done. Right. So in situations like those, it really makes sense to use a SQL CLR procedure as a parser, let's say. Say, okay, what do things you do here? Ten things? Okay, let's select what you want to do. Right. Then call other procedures that can do their job. That's sort of conditional Better. branching logic-based yeah, right. stuff. That's, right. that's what it's good for, yeah. So trying to evaluate a conditional tree, a binary tree, a decision tree, then... If you want to access data, okay, for that case, TSQL is much better than anything else, right? But it still sounds like a bunch of that functionality ought to be outside of the database. More decision-making well, made somewhere else. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Depends on what you want to do. If the entire thing you want to do belongs to the database, if you don't need any interaction with anything else outside the database, it makes sense to run that part of code inside the database. But if it requires any kind of interaction with anything else, let's say a COM object, or another assembly that lives outside the database, or any kind of user interaction, of course, right? that shouldn't run inside the SQL Server. Sure. Right? Most of the time, the, the best examples I've seen with a SQL Server CLR is cases where there's an extremely large chunk of data. So running external to the database means shipping a huge amount of data. Right, right. And fairly significantly complex algorithms, yeah. higher math, yeah. Yeah. You know, sophisticated functionality that is not well served by TransSQL. Right. And so you need the richness of the .NET language right. with the data availability of being inside the context yeah. of SQL Server. Well, I've seen other, other cases where SQL CLR is very, very useful, but they're not simple to implement. It's where there are lots of SQL developers who love to have anything solved by a single query. Right. Even if that query is five pages long, right? <laughs> but it has to be a single select statement. Right. The right? 57 way join. Right, right. So they need agile a, methodologies for <laughs> stored procedures. <laughs> Probably. So in a situation like that, if you evaluate all conditions, how do you know which branches of that query execution are more useful than others? 
you can actually break that procedure into several small ones so you can better optimize each branch when necessary. For that kind of thing, you can easily make a decision tree with a SQL CLR function, then call from there individual procedures that look very similar to each other. But at least you can optimize each one of them individually. And stage the data incrementally yeah. through a temporary table, table variable. Uh, well, there's not to talk too much about temporary tables and table variables because they are also a big source of problems. Sure, but if you're going to disassemble a large query into pieces, you got to put the data somewhere along the way. Well, it all depends on how you want to use it. Sure. If, if you want to use a temporary table or a table variable just once it shouldn't be created in the first place. But if you want to use it several times, it makes much sense to create it once and reuse it. Right. Right? Because you can aggregate thousands and thousands of rows in a single small result set and reuse it several times in the same procedure. Save yourself a lot of work. That's right. But if you want to use it just once, why to build it and save it in another storage when you can reuse it right away? Yeah, that makes sense to me that the best place to use temporary tables is where you're going to reuse a costly computed chunk That's of right. data. That's right. It's only the case. Fernando, one of the coolest things I ever saw you do, you think you know what I'm going to say, is when uh, you showed people in talks how to create a view with you know lots of joins and everything else that you do in a view, and then use a data adapter to do updates, inserts. Mm-hmm. As well as selects, you know, updates, inserts, and deletes on the view. Right. That's just some seriously cool <laughs> stuff. Well, a view is, is nothing else than a query with a name, basically. Right. But um, there are some situations where you can encapsulate some very complex logic in a view. You can expose that to outside as if it was a table. So how can you select data? It's quite simple. Select from the view. That's it. But what if you want to update data? That's where the problem starts. Right. And I'm, and I remember there was some seriously geeky meta information you had to pass along and you right, had to right. create parameters and then you had to do, uh, inside the triggers, you had to put code to capture right. and break out that data right, right. into, yeah. Yeah. Very because, cool stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. inserting and deleting is not that difficult. Updating is where they get tricky. Right. right. Especially the mo- more tables you have, the more. Right, right. You have lots of table. How do you do it right. that can be declared as a single transaction and you want to update just enough on each table to avoid conflicts with other updates? Well, and this is the magic of doing an update across multiple tables at once, which is the yeah. whole point of why you created <laughs> that's a right, view. That's right. And generally speaking, the answer is, well, be very careful. That's <laughs> tricky stuff. Well, yeah. In but fact, that, the, the, that answer is, is not complete. So you do it very carefully. One table at a time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, that's the kind of cool stuff that I've seen you do. What If you had to pick, like, your, your best, you know, wizardry trick from all your years' experience, all your talks and the things that you've done, pick one and throw us a oh. bone here. That's difficult to say. That's difficult to say. Yeah. But um, the thing that I'm more um, happy with is when you look at the stop procedure, it's taking ages to run, and there are lots of people using the same procedure, and you arrive to a system that 90% of the total execution is that particular procedure, and you do some tricks inside that query, and that procedure disappears completely from the top 100 
<laughs> just drops off the just list drops of off the what's list expensive. Completely, yeah. right? That gives you some kind of, I don't know yeah. what to say, some <laughs> kind of an orgasmic That's sensation, right? It's like, I, did it. <laughs> I did something good today. Right. And then you go home, tell your wife, and she says, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> right, and typically, you know, the, the thing is, in some of, the, some of those cases, you don't have to do very complex stuff sometimes. Just look at the query and say, why do you have this condition here? Yeah. Are you actually using this condition at all? You never do it. You find cases where people are doing two or three tests where any one of them would give them the set they wanted. They're working the server unnecessarily hard. Exactly. And pull those extra bits out and suddenly things pick up speed. But I think the the most uh, cool thing we I personally design is something that's going to be implemented in production in in quite a big system that's going to accept millions of queries per day. Wow. And uh, I cannot say which system it is because <laughs> it's NDA. But uh, anyway, it's a system to distribute dynamically queries across multiple servers that geographically dispersed. Oh, very nice. And um, I can tell you, I'm not using any kind of very strange technology. So Just common sense. <laughs> so is this like grid SQL computing almost? <laughs> it sounds like a grid application. Um, it's, it's not... It, you know, sometimes the people ask me, well, I'm using Oracle. I want to implement grid in SQL Server. And the, the only question that comes to my mind is, why do you want to implement a grid in the first place? <laughs> what kind of real problem you want to solve? Right. Right? No, no, I just want to implement grid in SQL Server. That's the wrong question. Right? What they're really tasking <laughs> for is asynchronous distributed calls, basically. Yeah, right? but the thing is, there's lots of things a developer could do to actually distribute load very easily. Across different servers. And a lot more safely, too. And more safely as well. You can have redundancy in that place. If something goes wrong with a the server, this other server can take control. And in this particular case, it's, it's, a, it's a system that doesn't know in advance where the workload is going to come from. It can come from anywhere in the world. It can be tremendous. From any country, at any given time. And they have to be able to commission new servers on the spot. Right. In a matter of hours. They have to be more servers at any place. And the application has to be designed already to distribute that load geographically. And you know what? how we did that? Just by building a very simple assembly that controlled the connection to the servers. So that was smart it. enough to know where to go. Right, does it? It's as simple as that. So the client application have a dynamic allocation of server to connect to, and that's it. Nothing else. Beautiful. Hey, Fernando, you have any things that you want to plug or blogs or events that you're speaking at or anything you want to... Um, you know, lately, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm becoming less and less technical uh, or let's say it another way. I believe less and less in the, in the technical side of things and more and more and more in the, in the common sense side of things. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, uh, most of the things I'm doing lately is more related to non-technical advice and, and more like um, helping people to encourage them to move forward technically. Problem solving. Professionally. Problem solving, yeah. But also recognizing that you know, technology has kind of hit a point now where we know the technology is capable of doing this. It's more a question of are the people able to take advantage of it. Right. And you get to this point exactly. where you see it's a psychological problem. Have exactly. I got the right people working on this and how do I help them get to be the right people? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Excellent. Fernando Guerrero. Fernando Guerrero. Perfect. (laughs) You got it right. (laughs) Thanks for talking to us. You're welcome. Okay. 
And look who it is, Richard. It's Johan Sundstrom, the winner of the .NET Rocks TechEd Barcelona 2006 sweepstakes. And Johan, we met with you earlier this week, but you don't sound the same as when we first met with you. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't understand it either. Could be the the Finnish party that you went to last night. Maybe. Oh, don't mention that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! Nobody back home listens to .NET Rock. <laughs> So one of the coolest things I think about TechEd Europe is this idea that sort of the the attendee party night is split out by country. They're all over the city. Uh, we made it to the Norwegian party, but you know, obviously you were at the Finnish party, being a Finn, and and there was a UK party and a, and a Dutch party, and I mean, just lots and lots of parties everywhere. And I think everybody competes to have the most outrageous party. And it sounds like you spent the whole night shouting. Well, we certainly tried. Yeah. <laughs> so you won the contest the first week. You won a piece of swag, and then you won the big contest. Uh, you got here. Obviously, you made it here. You're having a good time. What What have you been looking at? You know, what sessions have you been going to? And tell me about your experience here. <clears throat> I've been following a lot of Visual Studio tools and SQL Server, and no one can resist Kimberly. Kimberly Tripp? Yeah. Of she is irresistible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Did you get to see Anders Halsberg speak? Yeah, I went to several of his speaks. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's good. So did you ever think you would win the contest? No, not really. <laughs> not really. And you had to uh, you had to make some last-minute adjustments in your schedule yeah, to get here? It was well worth it. It's an interesting thing we've realized after the contest is that it's fairly tough with one week's notice, essentially, to be able to take a week off and come to a conference. Yeah. I'm really yeah. glad that you were able to come out. Yeah, me too. Well, I don't Thanks think Johan wants to talk all that much because his voice is killing him. So okay. we will, yeah. we're will. we not going to torture you all that much except to say congratulations again. And we're glad you're having a really good time. Thank you. Thanks to you, I'm here. Yeah. Thanks, Johan. It was great to meet you. Congratulations. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Toy Boy!